Welcome to the Vivolution podcast. Vivolution is a global organization promoting plant-powered positive change through events and a wide range of content created to inspire you. Each episode of this podcast will share with you stories and ideas told by positive change makers leading the way in shaping a better future. On the 13th of January, Vivolution hosted an event with By Chloe to celebrate Veganuary at their stunning restaurant at the O2 in Greenwich Peninsula, London. We invited speakers to talk about creating business with a purpose and what this means heading into the new decade. And first up is Dan Murray-Serta, founder of Heights Smart Supplement and the Secret Leaders podcast, who explains. Hi, our first guest on. His name's Dan Murray-Serta. Um, come to the stage, Dan. <laughs> Okay, finally doing our interview, the big interview. That's like a really tough act to follow. Yeah, I know, right? I feel, feel intimidated by how good Tony is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Dan, you're the co-founder of Heights. So this is the smart supplement for your brain's health and performance. You're also the host of Secret Leaders, which was recently the number one podcast in the world in the business section. True. That's kind of cool. Very cool. I got to say for like, I got, I got to tell my friends that I was bigger than Tim Ferriss for like a few days before they told me to stop being such a jerk and shut the fuck up. But no, you know, it was really cool until then. I think you deserved it. Tim Ferriss has been going at this for, for quite a while and actually Secret Leaders has been growing year upon year. Um, yeah, so it's our fourth season, so fourth year. Fourth year, yeah. Um, I'm a big fan. I think it's great. We'll talk about the podcast later. I'm going completely off <laughs> tangent. So tell us a bit about Dan and your background um, as an entrepreneur. Um, so my background as an entrepreneur is uh, much more common uh, than most of the ones you hear about. So most of my entrepreneurial experiences are just like series of uh, false starts or failures or things that didn't actually go so well. So just know that uh, for anyone that is an entrepreneur in the room, that's actually like the common path that we all go through and that's actually pretty normal. So. I, um, I had a company called Grabble, and uh, that was a really interesting journey. I spent about a year, uh, in about a year we got to, I would say, from memory I think it was about 900 users, um, did everything wrong, all the things you read in every single blog that you're told not to do, like, uh, if we build one more feature, loads of people will come, so you build one more, one more, one more, and then by the end of the year someone asks you to explain what your website does, and you literally don't know how to do it. Um, so we did that, and then we decided to throw away the whole design and pivot to mobile, and we created an app very last minute that basically got, just before we ran out of funding, um, and it got nicknamed the Tinder of fashion, and it really took off. So that then, over a journey, this is like summarizing, this did not happen overnight, but that then became the number one shopping app in the UK. So there was a period of time when we were outranking ASOS, and I got called into the founder's um, office, and um, I'll always share this truth, which is he's the nicest prick I've ever met. Um, <laughs> he was unbelievably um, confrontational and direct that if we didn't stop what we were doing, he would just fucking destroy us. Um, and what I will say about that... How did you that, respond to that, then? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, with shock. I thought I was there because I thought he was like, going to buy us or something really cool, and I was <laughs> like, you know... This is going to be awesome. He's going to like, you know, tell me that he loves what we're doing and ASOS can't keep up and they're going to buy us. But instead he was like, you can fuck off <laughs> if you think that ASOS is going to let you do X, Y. But 
What I will say is most people in business that actually feel that way will do it without telling you face to face. And he was very, very clear. He actually, I find, I genuinely think he was quite respectful. He took the time to find out who I was, asked me to come to the office, tell me that he was about to destroy my business, and then, and then went about and did it very successfully. <laughs> so fair play to the guy. Um, and uh, more people know a sauce than gravel still. So he did win, but I respect the fact he told me. So, so he's a purpose-driven entrepreneur, maybe not in the, the good sense. Yes, ASOS <laughs> is obviously the hub of sustainability, as we all know, yeah. And so um, I guess that put a bit of a stress on your brain, that yeah. whole, the whole experience. Yeah, it was, a very, so it was all a very up-and-down um, ride. We didn't just fail because ASOS um, caught up with us. We failed for many, many, many reasons. Actually, the predominant reason was, um, was business model. We'd ended up creating a really good product and a really good... Um, brand. Um, at our peak, we had 1.2 million monthly active users coming in and shopping through our, our app. So um, just by, because um, basically the, the way the numbers are skewed, like ASOS at this point was still web first, right? And they had an app and they were trying to drive people to their app, whereas we just completely got rid of our website and only did mobile and that's all we did. So we, we started to out-execute really well by being completely focused. Um, but it was a really bad business. So we made lots and lots of um, sacrifices to be quick and nimble and speed up and get brands on board and do all these things that were good strategic decisions to get ahead. Um, but as a startup with 45 people, which is what we had at the time, um, it, you know, we didn't have enough people, we didn't have enough margin, um, and we had too much growth. Um, and the growth wasn't actually being well optimized. So I learned loads and loads and loads of lessons. I just didn't learn any of them fast enough. And so, and so when Grabble ended, I guess that's quite tough because if you have 45 people, you've got to kind of tell those people this, this company's ending yeah. and that, that whole process is never, never nice. And what, what, did you, what did you do to kind of reset yourself before coming, coming back with Heights? Yeah, so... Um, I, to be honest, like, again, there's this, uh, a lot of lessons learned. So... When, you, when you've built a product like that, um, it's really hard to let go of that idea. So uh, what we should have done is just say, look, this is completely fucked, because we knew it was. Um, but it was really hard to accept that, because um, you know, it's just typical timing as well. We'd started uh, to win lots of awards, um, really good awards as well, ones that we really wanted to win, um, which I now know are completely meaningless. Uh, but you know, they're the kind of things that stop you from making rational decisions. So we should have just let go of everyone and been like, you know, we fucked up, just game over. However, we didn't do that, and it was kind of like death by a thousand paper cuts. We were like, you know, oh, we're just going to let go of ten people in these teams, and then that, and, you know, like, I'm a very, um, very like, empathetic person, so I, uh, it, like, just giving one, I'm an awful manager, like, I'm terrible at giving bad news, like, I'm, I'm, I mostly leave that to my business partner, because I'm like, oh, you do it, they haven't had a good quarter. Because um, I just feel bad telling someone something they don't want to hear. So like, having to let go of 10 people every fucking time is just miserable. I've, I've learned a lot about that now as well, right? So I've also learned that giving feedback and constructive ways of doing it and framing it and you know, all that stuff is actually incredible. It's kindness and it's good management and I'm a lot better. But at the time I was 27 and you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't really know how to be a good manager. And I ended up, we ended up letting go of our team and four goes, you know, and that's just so every time you do it, it's worse than the last. Yeah, torturing yourself. <laughs> completely. Um, and so uh, all of that was not a very pleasant process, as you might imagine. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. It's not, 
anything I, something I think any sorry if you were looking for do. an uplifting story yeah. the end good we, evening we, we get there we get there and so, and so now you've you've launched Heights this yes. month yes um, Judy and I have taken some Heights I think they've been yes. very yeah. good for our brain you look like you're buzzing yeah I'm, I'm, I'm nervous um, <laughs> um, so this is You've got a big mission with this this business. It's a purpose-driven business. So do you want to talk, tell everyone a little bit about Heights and how you hope it might affect people's lives? Yep. So um, I guess the background was that, as you might imagine during this experience, um, I, like all of this was a very stressful experience, but the weird thing um, that happened to me was uh, I, I basically got insomnia and really bad anxiety. And I used to joke that anxiety is just um, like a byproduct of being an entrepreneur. So it doesn't really count as a mental disease. It's more of a career choice. Um, but So it's kind of your fault. Uh, but insomnia was extremely random because uh, I, I just wasn't sure why that had happened or what had actually gone on. And to save a very long story, because um, we don't have a long time, I ended up, uh, I, I ended up being bought um, a book on nutrition around brain health. Um, I tried lots of different things, right? So I had tried, um, I tried going to a sleep therapist. I tried a normal therapist. I'm a very open person, so I talk very openly to my friends about my problems, and um, except for my mum, because that makes me more stressed, because she gets more worried. Um, but everyone else I talked to about it, and. Uh, I was I was just not sure. I, you know, I'd cut out coffee. I was I was I was healthy. I was meditating. I was doing all the things that are like big checklists that you do. Um, and someone bought me this book, and it did a really good job of just explaining your brain is an organ. Um, if you suffer from one of these mental diseases, mental health problems, and and insomnia was just on the list. And um, there's a good chance you've got a nutritional deficiency, and you've been treating your brain like it's just your mind, and you haven't been separating the two things out. And your brain is an organ and it needs nutrition just like the rest of your body does. And so you should try these supplements. You should try this diet. You should try eating these foods and start to understand why. And at this point, I just wasn't particularly engaged in the nutrition argument, so to speak. So um, I'd gone vegan about a year before, um, but it wasn't really for my uh, nutritional reasons. I, I mean, I tend to find with, with vegans, it tends to be like three reasons. There's this health, there's planet, and there's loving animals. Um, I'm awful because I'm a pet owner of two cats and a dog, and it was never animals, um, which now I feel terrible about. Um, but mine was just the planet, really. I was like, well, it doesn't seem like that much of a contribution to do. Um, like I think a lot of people that make these kind of decisions for that reason, if you make, if you make the plant-based move because of your health, you come from an informed place where you understand why you're doing it for your health, and therefore you understand what nutritional deficiencies to look out for for your health. I think a lot of I think the thing that's interesting about the plant-based movement is is the two other factors of why people do it. And so if you don't come from an informed place, which I didn't, I didn't supplement anything. Uh, so I didn't have any B12 or B vitamins. I didn't have any omega threes or any of these things. So look, after a period of time, I ended up getting these mental health diseases, but not re um, relating them to that. And I was the only <laughs> the only vegan in the village. Um, I lived in London. I definitely wasn't. Um, but you know, I I was the only I was the only plant-based person amongst all my friends. I didn't really have anyone to talk to particularly about it. Anyway, fast forward. I simply learned. I just started taking the supplements he recommended. So in this book, all that got recommended really was DHA, omega three, B vitamins, particularly B twelve, um, and, and 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 in this case, blueberry extract or just having blueberries, which quickly became a very expensive addiction. Uh, so. You know, I started to learn. I was like, oh, this is super simple and very surprising. And it struck me a lot because uh, from my point of view, 
I'm quite an informed person, you know? I'm absolutely in the 1% of the 1%. I live in London. I work in a startup. You know, the, the, if you look across the world, that puts you in the 1% just right there, just by even living in London, pretty much. Yeah. So it's like, how many more people don't actually know the simple message of, uh, you know, getting mental health problems because of nutritional deficiencies because of the many different ways you could get it? And so I became interested in this idea of brain nutrition and a brain diet. And so that's what led to the creation of Heights. Yeah, correct. So I started, so a year, this was a year ago, or actually 60 weeks ago, because I started writing a newsletter on brain health. So I was very interested in science. I kind of felt like there was lots of charismatic marketeers uh, who are amazing at paying for Facebook advertising and getting lots of reach. So they were all confusing me a lot. And I was like, well, science isn't bullshit. So I'm just going to read science papers on the stuff because I'm a bit nerdy. So I just started getting really nerdy on the science papers and realizing that no one reads science papers. And I was like, well, I'm going to start a newsletter that is just science, but I'm going to rewrite it in plain English. So, every so you became a science communicator, basically. Yeah, precisely. And that's, kind of, and that's the thing that I was good at with Grabble as well. Grabble was, uh, was shopping and fashion, and I, I basically created a way of making that well communicated on mobile. So I think the thing I'm good at is user research. What do people, what's a sort of gap in the market? What do people need to know? Why would they need to know it? And how can I make that easy for them? And, and so with Heights, you, you created this brain supplement. So what, what goes into a, a Heights pill? So uh, no animals, don't worry. Um, basically, the idea behind it was we're going to research the uh, top natural organic ingredients that are scientifically proven to contribute to brain health and cognitive performance and put them together in a product. Um, when we were doing our, so I started writing this newsletter 60 weeks ago, like I said, and then we were sort of looking at what we would do and we were asking our community that we were growing what kind of products they buy, what they take, why they take it, and started to do customer interviews with them. Um, I think the real insight that we got, which is a surprising one, that came was uh, a lot of, I mean, most of our audience really were busy people working in the city and working in like corporate jobs. So lawyers, bankers, accountants, so just like typical city jobs where they're uh, busy, tired, uh, and don't have a lot of time to think about these things, right? So the thing that really surprised us is when we went and did customer interviews with them, asked them about their supplement habit, you know, what they take, what they don't. So most people take supplements, it turns out, which was kind of surprising to me because I didn't before this. Um, and the thing that was the most common piece of feedback was that they all forgot to take their supplements simply because they had to take them with food. And most supplements you have to take with food because if you don't take them with food, they just don't dissolve properly. You have to take them with fats and all this stuff. So we were sort of learning. But all the people that we were talking to, they had these supplements like, on their desk. But then, of course, what do you do when you're in the city? Someone says, do you want to go for lunch? And you go, yeah, sure. And then half of the people, actually, you know, 10% of people were embarrassed, 90% forgot, but they said it was sort of half and half. Um, and, you know, you just, don't, you just don't remember to take them with you. And then you come back, they came back to the desk and they're like, oh, I forgot to take them again. So we're like, that is a really interesting problem to solve. So then we started on how can we work with a product that will be slow releasing into your gut. The bioavailability thing is particularly interesting. So we're like, can we create a capsule uh, that basically slow releases the ingredients over time? You don't need to take it with food. We can actually prove that it reaches your gut and, um, and, and, and has the full effect of other supplements. And that was kind of where the idea came from for our product to have oil on the outside and then the nutrients on the inside. Because having the DHA oil on the outside of our pills uh, so it's like a two-in-one, uh, means that when it gets absorbed, it's being absorbed with fat from the oil. So you can take them first thing in the morning, every single day, without food, and they slow release throughout the day, and therefore, you, one less thing to think about. 
And so most people here probably live in London. Hands up if you live in London or in a city. Yeah, okay, we all city people. So living in a city requires more brain food, I read on the Heights website. So could you share with the audience why very this biased is... biased website. Oh, no. <laughs> no science on it at all. Um, <laughs> could you share with the audience why, why are us as city dwellers uh, under more brain stress? So, I mean, look, part of the stuff is lifestyle and part of it is just um, the environment. So obviously there's more pollution, um, but then the reality as well is people living in the city will traditionally have... Um, I guess the traditional nine to five or realistically nine to seven for a lot of people. So the practical side to that, if you're living in the countryside more often, you're going to have more, um, you're, going to, you're more likely to have a healthy diet. And the thing is, and we're very clear with our product, um, you, don't, you do not need to take high, everything in heights it, you can get from nature, you can get from your food. So every single is a vegan product, of course, and every single ingredient in it comes from plants. Therefore, it is completely possible to have exactly the same impact that you can get from heights in, an every, in your everyday diet. The reality, as we learned, is most people just don't bother. Yeah, isn't there like 18 blueberries in every heights capsule? 25. 25, okay. Yeah. Well, not in every capsule. We just two capsules a day. So yeah. it's, 20, it's the equivalent of 25 blueberries. So the antioxidant that's in blueberries is called anthocyanin. So we have uh, at like blueberry extract. Because, you know, I developed, a, I've still got it, but a very expensive blueberry habit. Some people buy Gucci, I just buy blueberries. <laughs> Which lasts for about 10 yeah. seconds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so this event is about purpose-driven business, and uh, there might be quite a lot of entrepreneurs in the audience. What tips would you have for someone looking to create a, a purpose-driven business in the new decade? Okay, good question. Um, I think, so the best feedback I have is, or the best tip that I learned is to go to potential customers before you do anything. So I think the coolest thing that we did before, so we launched literally last week. Um, so our product has been around for seven days. And the, well, you know, out in the ether anyway. Uh, so the thing is that's 60 weeks after we first had any idea of what business we wanted to go into. And that's after we spent time, a lot of time with our community asking them questions. So, you know, when you're building a purpose-driven product uh, or company or creating a new brand for sustainability and anything else, you've got to remember that even if you do best practice everything and, you know, we're a pending B Corp because we've not been, product's not been around for years, so we can't do that yet, and obviously Form is a B Corp, and when you do these things, that is amazing and that is best intention, but if you create a product that no one ends up buying, and if you create entirely the wrong thing because you didn't listen to your customers, it's really not very sustainable. It's not very purpose-driven. Um, you're just someone with a lot of passion and energy, but realistically what you've done is create more that the world doesn't need. So it's really important when thinking about the idea of purpose-driven businesses, not just to critique and criticize everyone else that's not doing it right because it's so hard to do it right. Like, at the end of the day, we live in a world where What's cheapest is the stuff that's worse for the environment. What's most expensive is the stuff that's really good for the environment. And then we all need to understand that there is this enormous group of virtue signalers that tell you all day long on social media how to best run your business and will never buy from you and actually buy from the worst offenders in the world. So welcome to the real world. That's the real world. It's great to have passion, energy, purpose, but like when you actually get out there with your product, in reality, 
to real consumers, you've got to remember that you've got to make something people actually want to buy and is going to make an impact. And that's probably the best tip I can give around um, doing anything with a mission or purpose. Yeah, I, I think that's so important because um, the world's got a lot of people doing the same thing. I think to try and carve out a mission that is um, well planned out and well, well thought out is, is essential, really, if you want to be successful. And there's a lot of lovely people out there. Yeah, there's so many lovely people. But, but good intention doesn't necessarily create a good business and doesn't create happy customers. Yeah, 100%. And so we're Secret Leaders. It's, it's a great podcast. I, I'm listening to it regularly. I think it's um, you've got a great knack for interviewing people. So um, that's probably why I'm quite nervous interviewing you because you've spoken to some of the the real leading entrepreneurs in the world and um, venture capitalists as well. So you get a great oversight of emerging mm. business trends. What, what things are you hearing from the podcast guests regularly that you know, people in this room should be aware of over the coming years? I mean, like absolutely everything goes towards trends. So of course, um, you know, a lot of people do want uh, you to be a B Corp. They do want you to be uh, plant-based. They do want to, like, you to leverage technology. That stuff is true. But I think what's super interesting, so the really wise owls, especially the venture capitalists that have been around the block a few times, uh, their opinion is broadly that um, everything, well, to quote one of my guests, actually, John, John Hegarty, who came up with the term, you know, when everything zigs, you zag. So, you know, every, every cycle in society, we're just part of another cycle where suddenly it feels like there's a movement towards one thing, and quite possibly in 20 years, there'll be a movement towards another thing. And so... The tricky thing always is to make sure that you're catching the right tide at the right time, because timing is everything, and to appreciate that that only lasts for a certain period of time. So you've got to constantly reinvent yourself. So all of the good founders um, that are still running really successful businesses have basically done through, the ones that get really big, they acquire businesses that are the threats to them, um, or they pivot and they do something super interesting that keeps their customers coming back for more because... Uh, just plowing out the same old trick that they already did is just not good enough. Um, you know, a really good example of that is, you know, Uber having Uber Eats, you know, just to compete with Deliveroo. I mean, Deliveroo is a British business, but they were giving them so much of a threat. And uh, Will Shu, who's the founder, is the last guest on this series. And it's really interesting talking to him about, you know, how he genuinely um, created so much innovation with Deliveroo that he actually forced Uber into a position to create a whole entire different business, even though it's in another country. Is absolutely staggering. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then one of the things, so tomorrow's episode is, is a live recording from a year ago, actually, called Healthy Body, Healthy Mind. And it's with the founder of Calm and the founder of Babylon. And so Calm is the biggest meditation app in the world. Babylon's the biggest healthcare app in the world. So these are two incredible founders. Both companies are unicorns. Um, they're, you know, they're older. And this is also really important to say. It's easy to listen to these stories and be like, oh, why aren't I doing that yet? I mean, they're both in their 50s. Like, you know, they've, and they've had a super rough ride to get there. I think I saw an article someone posted today on Forbes saying that 45 is your, you're starting to hit your peak as an entrepreneur. Yeah, 100%. And this is the thing, like, there's only, there's only, you know, you've all heard of Evan Spiegel and you've all heard of Mark Zuckerberg, but there's only a couple of those people in the world. Like, all of the data and stats suggest that all of the successful entrepreneurs were in their 40s plus generally. And everything you do in your 30s is about trying to soak up the lessons and failures super fast so that you can make it work on your 10th go in your 40s. I'm definitely up for promoting that idea. It's the data, but as someone who writes a, a science-based newsletter every week, not everyone loves uh, science or data that much, right? We like to believe what we think. That's good. Um, so which entrepreneurs are currently inspiring you? And what 
book are you currently reading? Uh, great question. Um, well, I just finished The Everything Store by Jeff Bezos. It was a Jeff Bezos story. Um, I wouldn't say that he inspires me because he's not a particularly nice person. However, um, I think what's so cool about him is from start to finish of his story, he has one single point of view and it's just so fundamentally right, which is it's the customer. And he has literally beaten every single competitor in the entire world with that point of view that the customer's always right and the customer, it's really staggering. Um, so I found that a really great insight. You know, we had a customer question today, um, someone hacked like the system and managed to get a, <laughs> managed to get a free product. Um, and I was gonna be like, oh, you know, it's a bug or whatever and complain, but I was like, actually, wait, what would Jeff Bezos do? Probably tell that person that they're a genius and offer them uh, another month free next month if they can explain how they did it. So I did that instead. So it's like, you know, genuinely very inspiring when I obviously my natural inclination was to be like, oh, hey, you just ripped us off. That's interesting <laughs> and smart. Um, so instead, you know, I think that, that point of view is, is great. Um, he's also, though, like apparently a horrific offender for the environment and uh, I was going to say like just not a nice person. So I wouldn't say that he's an inspiration at all. Um, to be honest, both of the founders on tomorrow's guests are two of the most inspirational people I've ever, ever, ever met. So the thing about Michael and Ali, so Calm and Babylon, is they're completely long-term. So they think entirely in 10 or 20 years, this is what the world will be like, and that's what I'm gonna build. And so every, and Ali is especially, I mean, listen to it tomorrow, they're hilarious. Like both of them are hilarious. They've had, uh, and Michael's had loads of failure and learned from it, and that's how he ended up building Calm. Ali is slightly different. He comes from a banking background, so uh, but he was an immigrant. You know, he came over literally as a refugee without his family from Iran. So it's incredible what he's done as a person. Um, but you know, their point of view is if investors tell them something or tell them they can't do X, Y, and Z, or that they need to get to profitability in the next two or three years, they literally tell those investors to fuck off and that they'll find different investors. Um, and they're so aggressively long term that that's the reason they're building big businesses. That's the reason why their businesses are making more impact in, you know, more people know about meditation in the world because of Calm. It's a really commercial product and it's not one for the purists. If you are a meditation teacher, I'm only guessing, I'm putting words in Natalia's mouth. Um, <laughs> but if you're a meditation teacher, Calm is, you know, really not your vibe, I would imagine, right? It's very simplistic, it's very... But if you're like me, you really struggle to meditate. And it's, like me. It's incredible. And like me, I've, I've meditated 500 times in a row because of Calm. And that's, you know, from someone who really struggled so hard to meditate. So I'm the target market here. And the point is you get up to expert meditation, which takes years and years and years. So you need the patience to do it. But it's so impactful to create something that can reach so many lives. And the same with Babylon. And you only do those things if you are a really crazy entrepreneur that backs what you say, what you think, and what you feel. If those are the same things, and you say, I'm going for it, and you are investing in me and this ride, or not, and you straight up and you look at them in the eyes, and any single time they tell you that they disagree with this because, and try to show you short-term thinking, you remind them that you know, they got into this together with the same, same point of view and that's the way you're going. Um, that's, that's what people like them do. So I, I genuinely find them two of the most inspiring. And I always answer Michael and Ali, actually. Yeah, I think they've done great. Both of those people have mm. built great businesses. In terms of actually with Heights, you've raised some money for Heights. How's the process of going out to people and saying, we're going to change people's brains? We're going to... Yeah. Uh, like, how did that go down, you know, with investors, generally, generally speaking? Um, 
It's really interesting. So, uh, so our view on uh, on heights is, you know, sort of a fundamental belief that a healthier brain leads to a happier life, and that the concept of putting your brain first, which is really how I communicate it. So it's a very simple idea. I don't really think about marketing the product itself. It's not about marketing specific products. It's literally about marketing the concept of putting your brain first in your daily life. And that can be your mind, and that can be your nutrition. And it's not brain only or mind only. It's just changing that relationship and seeing what happens and what impact comes from actually consciously thinking is a meal I'm about to eat, is the supplement I'm about to take, is the water I'm about to drink, is the thing I'm about to do actually putting my brain first and how quickly that kind of way of thinking compounds into success. So at the, on the long term, so talking about long term thinking, the way that I pitch my company to investors, anyone that's invested in the round um, has been on the fundamental belief that a healthier brain leads to a happier life that we're creating a movement for people to put their brain first, and what we actually are building is a habits company. So we don't talk about the, the supplement. Um, obviously in the deck, the product has to be in there because people don't want to know well, what are you actually doing other than your newsletter, because uh, people like to know that you've learned some lessons and realize you have to sell something with, with a profit margin. Uh, but the reality is, uh, the only way that we talk to people is as a habits company. These are the products we'd create. This is, what, this is why we think those things are important. That was why really early on this idea of, uh, of being able to take the product without food meant that we can create, again, direct to consumers really hard. So if you don't have a retail experience, you've not only got to get someone, you've not only got to convince someone to buy your product, you've then got to try and get into their daily habit and their daily lifestyle. And that's such a difficult thing to do. And so all the things I've learned on cognitive processing and how people build habits is pick a moment, stand for that moment and stick to it. And so we did that first brilliant idea of the day as the concept of when you start. And on that basis, We've actually picked up some really amazing like early clients, you know, and a lot of a lot of people in the plant-based movement as well have uh, I'm very pleased to say start their day every day with heights. And uh, the craziest one we had, which was last Sunday, so bear in mind we launched last Monday, which meant that there was a passcode on our website last Sunday, so you couldn't buy it. I got an email from Stephen Fry, which was so cool because he literally apologized for invading my inbox but managed to find my email online. It's okay, Stephen. We can, we can allow it. To yeah. yeah. I, was with, I was with my mum at randomly the Tower of London because she's a guide and wanted to show me around. Um, and I was like, oh my God, mum, Stephen Fry just emailed me. So cool. Uh, did you not have like a mutual connection yeah, with him? Yeah, so or? a friend of mine that was, on, uh, was, was one of the uh, trial customers was like, I think you should send a product to Stephen but, and so this is what's been awesome about building early community and people that read your newsletter. It's all science-based. You know, I built up a relationship with them over a year. And when we started launching the product, they were our first customers on the trial basis. And then a lot of them were like, you know, oh, I think we can get it to this person. Would you send them a bottle? And so that was kind of how the trial worked. You know, we we're sending people a free bottle. And then after the three-month trial, people either became our first customers or they didn't. And so we had 100 people on a three-month trial and 85%, 85 people became our first customers, which was great. And of that, we had... Uh, the founder of Planet Organic, the founder of Huel, um, like people like Baroness Martha Lane Fox. You know, I was trying to get to people that I, you know, were in health and nutrition, but also in the plant-based movement. Um, yourself, JP from All Plants, you know, like all the same characters, Emma Sinclair, etc. Because it's important. All to the plant-based big mouths. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's really important. And, uh, and then one of them was Stephen Fry. And then his supply ran out and he couldn't buy it. And he sent this hilarious email round, um, to me, which was, you know, he thought that they were working really well, but now he can't buy on my website. He's not so sure. Uh, 
And uh, he said, you know, can I have a code, please? And I said, you can have a code if we can have a quote. And he was like, absolutely, how's this? And it's just like the most amazing quote because it's from probably, you know, Britain's smartest man uh, basically saying that he, you know, feels sharper every day, smarter every day. It's making him feel amazing, all this stuff. And I just think people like him as well are just so cool. There's no, like, faff. There's no, like, speak to my agent. Oh, I need to get this signed off. He was like, 100%, here you go. Use it freely. Yeah, he, I think he's a really generally good guy. And I, I know friends who've got connections with him, and he's written yeah. them letters of recommendations yeah. and this kind of thing. And he's, um, it's great. I think well, it's a great endorsement the, of what The other doing. thing I love about him is, you know, he's just not an influence. You couldn't pay for him to sponsor your product, right? As in, that would be the weirdest, tackiest thing. He's just like, he either said it or he didn't. It's Stephen Fry. <laughs> you know, so I think that's like, that was really cool. I agree. Um, so where can people find out more about you, Hyatt Secret Leaders? Where, where do they need to go? Um, so well, there's one thing that you've missed as well, which is very important. What's that? My cats, okay. obviously. <laughs> Most importantly, my cats, because I'm an animal lover. So first and foremost, priorities straight. If you type into Google Britain's fluffiest cats, my cats are number one. I got my priorities right. This is uh, SEO 101. This is where the Google budget was going for the last Yeah, pretty up. much. Yeah, this was the problem with the, mo uh, the business model at Grabble. They were like wondering where all the money was going. Um, no, the Sun did an article on my cats, and uh, the answer is yes, they are Britain's fluffiest cats. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. But then other than that, uh, for heights, it's yourheights.com, and uh, yourheights on Instagram and Twitter. And then for me, just my full name, Dan Murray Serta. And um, I think I just wanted to show the product itself, because we spent a lot of time on, on product design as well. So the bottle itself is like, quite standout. We took a lot of influence from the beauty industry. So one of the things we had is that, that we were thinking about is, when you talk about mental health, mental health feels like quite a negative thing. So people talk a lot about, um, I had this mental health, I did it myself, you know, I had this mental health problem, I'm gonna talk privately to my friends about it. So we were trying to think, what is the opposite of that? So when you think about uh, mental health in a positive way, how do you get people talking about their brain health? You know, wellness, the idea of wellness is promotion before something bad happens. So then we were like, well, the idea of brain health, you need people to want to be able to share, celebrate, um, and think something looks cool. So then we got really nerdy on the product design, and that's where we're like, well, Beauty does an amazing job. I mean, beauty is technically wellness too, right? You know, it makes you feel good and you want to tell people about it. And so the design is really thought through. And so that was just sort of another thing that I wanted to make sure I'd, I'd shared because very proud of, uh, of the thought that's gone into the product design as well. Yeah. And that will go through someone's letterbox then if they order. Correct as well. Yeah, because uh, this is more of a problem if you're a man than a woman. But <laughs> if you're a man and you get a red slip, you'll never know what came. No, you're, you're never, not, you're not going to go it. and pick that up. No. Let's be honest. So <laughs> this fits through the letterbox in um, in biodegradable packaging that's made from recycled sugarcane starch. And so um, and and what's cool is that's the shipper. So the actual outer packaging is the shipper itself. So it doesn't go in extra any extra packaging. And yeah, yeah, amazing. Well, it's been a pleasure to sit down. Next, founder of Form, Natalia Bojanic, interviews Zana Van Dyke, founder of swimwear brand Stay Wild, about what it means to be a woman in business and why having an ethical brand is so important. Welcome back, everyone. And if you're still eating, just bring your food here and join us. Food is allowed. So my name is Natalia. I'm a co-founder of Form, and I'm with Zana today. And Zana, she is a personal trainer, a blogger, co-founder of Stay Wild Swing, 
Zanis, she's also passionate about promoting personal and planetary health. Let's not forget that. That is very important. And she has spoken at the UN about using social media for positive change. She's an ambassador for Rainforest Alliance and also Sea Shepherd ambassador as well. So, you have been a finalist as a com cosmopolitan influencer of the year for two years running because you use social media in a positive way. So I would like you to share three key moments when you felt in your heart that you have impacted lives. I just want to say thank you so much for the lovely introduction. You well and truly tooted my horn, and I thoroughly enjoyed that, so thank you. Um, <laughs> I find that really hard question. We were just discussing this before we started talking to you guys. I find that really difficult because I think it's hard to reflect on yourself and think that you've impacted somebody's life. It just feels a little bit arrogant. But I have to say that the most amazing positive side of social media is the fact that you receive lovely messages on an almost daily basis. And I've had people tell me through social media or face-to-face -face that I've inspired them to go vegan or have inspired them to change their lifestyle. I have a Facebook group called The Living Consciously Crew and in there we talk every single day about trying to make more positive changes to support the planet. And when people in there say that they've taken on Veganuary or they've cut down plastic in their food shop and it just makes me realize that wow, I helped foster that community, and that is the most motivating and rewarding part of this career, the fact that you can inspire people to do something positive with their lives. So, yeah, not one moment, but quite a few. <laughs> and do you remember, like, potentially at the beginning where, you know, you were, like, one of, like, the pioneers. You were, like, at the forefront of, like, digital media influencers. And when did you decide, actually, this can be a real thing? Thank you. I mean, you've been very nice, Natalia. Um, so, <laughs> I think, honestly, I've been blogging on the DL since I was about 12. So, I've always been a bit of an online geek. I used to, like, code web pages for this website called Neopets. I was, like, next-level nerd, right? Um, and I never really thought that it would be a job. I just thought it would always be a hobby. And then, actually, when I was at university, I started a fitness blog. By the time I left university, it was at a point where, back then, this was many moons ago, maybe seven years, it had about 60,000 followers. And it was, a, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. I thought, wow, I could actually do something with this. And I saw some friends working with brands, and people were doing exciting things. And I thought, hmm, I, can, I finished this degree. I can be a speech therapist, or which is what I qualified in. Or I can go off and risk everything and do this social media thing and I thought screw it I'll do the social media thing said to mum give me a year give me a year and if I can't support myself in a year I'll go and do a master's or I'll go into speech therapy I'll go into further education and within a year it had gone quite well so I stuck with it so yeah it was just a big risk a big risk because I'm a very academic science-minded human being so for me to go into a more creative industry felt like a massive leap and I guess like part of this success, it is posting with purpose. So how can you give like tips for people and brands a way of like posting with purpose, like the thinking behind the content that you're putting out there? I think for me, the main question that I ask myself before I post anything on social media is what can somebody get from this? And if somebody is just getting a great view of your bum cheeks, I'm not sure like how much value they're going to extract from that image. So I really try to add 
something of value to each post, whether it's like a workout video they can do at home, or it's a recipe, or it's a sustainable swap they can make. So even as a brand with Stay Wild Swim, we have a directory on our website of sustainable brands. We have a blog where we have loads of guest articles about how to make sustainable swaps in your life. So our brand isn't just somewhere that you go to buy nice swimwear that's sustainable and ethical, but it's a place that you go to actually learn about how to live a more sustainable lifestyle. So if you can't invest in a piece of ours yet, you can already be a part of the community by making changes. So, Like yeah. engaging through mm -hmm. education, exactly. right? So, as you know, the place of influences is changing. And given that changes, how do you think people can change their habits around it? Wait, so the world of influences is changing. <laughs> their habits are on social media. I would say, if you want to grow on social media, right? The hardest thing right now is the algorithm. Remember the days when things were chronological? Ah, so sweet. Um, but that is all gone now, and now it feels like we're constantly fighting for engagement, we're constantly fighting to try and reach our audience. You might have 20,000 followers for your brand, but are you gonna reach them all? Absolutely not, Instagram makes it hard for you because they want you to pay to get that reach. So I think the most important thing nowadays is to try and foster a community. Um, and whether that's, for example, with Stay Wild Swim, we've had our customers help dictate our colors, help name every single piece that we've produced, help name our collection, help choose our fabrics, like every single element of the brand. And then therefore, when we've actually released that piece, they feel invested in it and they actually want to purchase it. So it's going further than just going, here's a pretty girl with some nice luxurious swimwear on her. It's actually like, you guys helped us name, design, choose the color of this piece. This is you, you are like the third member of our team. And that's amazing. And even on my personal platforms, I kind of like, try to connect with people as if they're my mates and we're just friends. So creating that community is so important. I think like showing in a really real and effective way that they matter. Yes, exactly. Right? Exactly. And in a personal level, what are the challenges of being a social media influencer? I'd say probably just like the fact that everybody has an opinion on your life and everything you ever do. Um, and that, that is definitely challenging when you're somebody who is inherently a people pleaser. And then you realize when you get an audience of people, they will not all be pleased. So I've, um, I've definitely had to learn that. And I think it's just a case of building barriers around yourself and realizing that you could be the ripest, juiciest peach. Somebody ain't gonna like peaches. So. <laughs> so the ability of reinventing yourself and working towards causes that you feel passionate about has allowed you to travel the world, work out with Carly Kloss, and launch your own business. With all the possibilities that you could pursue, why did you decide to launch a sustainable and ethical swimwear brand? Big question. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many amazing sustainable business initiatives that you can do now. And there's so many incredible technologies that you can take advantage of. But as somebody who has been a scuba diver since I was literally 13 years old, I'm somebody who connects with the ocean. And I felt like I wanted to do something which gave back. And I actually learned about the issue surrounding ocean plastic maybe four or five years ago, started talking about it on my social media platforms. And it became a huge part of my content and something which I was intensely passionate about. And then when I realized you can actually create product from regenerated ocean plastic, I thought, well, I'm gonna have to do that. I did a little tweet, a little casual tweet, saying, oh, I'd, I'd quite like to make something out of ocean plastic. And then my business partner, Natalie, just slid into my DMs like a dolphin and said, 
oh, I want to make swimmer out of ocean plastic. And I was like, holla, let's go for some avocado toast. Next thing you know, we've got a brand. So it was really that simple. I'm lying. It was very, very difficult. But <laughs> so, so just like shared this journey that it was not that simple. Not that simple. Okay, so... We went for avocado toast, like the basic bitches that we are, and we decided, let's just dip our toe in the water of trying a sustainable business. And we genuinely, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves in for. But we just thought, let's, let's start calling factories. Nat had found this amazing fabric called Econile. Econile is made of regenerated ocean plastic along with other textile waste. It can be made into incredible activewear, but also it's perfect for swimwear. So we thought, we don't really want to do activewear. There's a lot of that going on. So let's do swimwear. We're both passionate about the ocean. Take something from the ocean, take a thread, turn it into thread, wear it back in the ocean. It's a nice circular system there. We like that. So then we thought, let's start making some designs, find a factory, get some fabric, have a little dabble. And then it just took over our whole lives. We started researching in April. And by October, we'd pretty much designed our first collection and had it out. Um, it was just, a, I can't really explain it now, to be, but to be honest, it was just our whole lives for like eight months. And by the time we launched it, to be honest, we launched it too soon, but also not too soon. Like it wasn't perfect. It wasn't really ready, but there's never going to be the perfect time when your product's never really going to be ready. So we just thought, let's get it out there. And then once it's out there, we can get customer feedback, we can amend, we can resolve, we can make changes. And along that eight-month journey, we literally launched the Instagram page, like, I think a week after we had our first conversation, and then start putting out ideas of people saying, we're thinking of making the swimwear brand. What colors do you want us to use? And then we started to foster that community along the way. Um, but yeah, from there, we launched in October. 2018 so it's been a year and a few months and it's been an absolute whirlwind and I'm extremely proud of what Stay Wild Swim has become now. Can you share a few highlights? Oh yes but then it just makes me feel very arrogant but um, no 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 I it's will. just <laughs> important so people no no it's not it's not about being arrogant but it's about like milestones yeah, right it's the it. reassurance that every person is starting a business or like continue yes. a business that we need. Okay all right, Natalia, I'll do it. So we, um, I'd say in our first year, so we got stocked in Selfridges before we'd even released our designs. Um, that was because we launched our Instagram page and we'd started to develop this following before we'd even released a single image of our designs. They had, they had got in touch with us and said, hi, we want to have a meeting and potentially stock you because they loved our ethos and our initiative, our sustainable ethics, everything that we were doing. So that was amazing for us. The fact they believed in our brand before they even saw anything that we did. Great. Um, and then I'd say we went to London Fashion Week. That was amazing. We met Anna Wintour. She complimented our fabrics. We died. Um, and then Instagram did a feature about us. So at Instagram. Whoa. Um, they like flew in from San Francisco, filmed us for a couple of days, like did a whole feature about our business and our ethics and everything that we do. So I think there's probably a few other things that I've definitely forgotten. Yeah. Um, what have I forgotten now? Oh, yeah, sold out of everything a lot of times. Probably should mention that. Um, it's, it's been a great year. <laughs> it's been a really, really, really amazing year, but I'd say, yeah, Anna Wintour was probably the moment when I, like, did the biggest happy dance I've ever done, so. So <laughs> let's contrabalance that with, like, the challenges. Um, there's been many. 
I think for us, the fact that we're self-funded has been a huge challenge, especially in the fashion industry. Um, it's not built to support small, self-funded brands. If you get an order taken in from Selfridges, it will be an absolutely gigantic order of many thousands of pounds, which you have to then upfront pay for and produce before they will pay you. Um, so it's just that element of cash flow. When you're completely self-funded and there's not somebody invested in you, you're investing your own money, you're raising your own money to fund your own business. So for us, that has been the massive challenge. And I think we've definitely learned over the course of the year. And I think for the first six months, cash flow was our biggest issue. But now we've pretty much overcome that. And I'd say we're fairly comfortable with cash flow now. And are you considering raising, getting yes. investors? We're having meetings. <laughs> It's happening. Good. So what you'd say that as a woman in business, what is your role in the industry? I'd say for us, it's so important to represent female founders. Um, and the more people that we meet with in regards to investment at the moment, it just makes you realize there's actually not many female founders. And it's such a small percentage of businesses are owned by female founders. And such a small percentage of businesses which are owned by female founders actually get investment. Um, so I think for us, it's the fact that for us, it was really important that we did the first year without investment and actually proved to the world and to ourselves that two women can build a business off their own back and succeed and turn a profit and do well. Um, and I just think you want to represent for other women, like you don't need a man behind you telling you how to run everything, like you can do this. Um, and also it goes beyond just us, like even our suppliers, when we work with other brands, we always try and work with other female run brands or female led brands. And um, we also work with like female business charities as well. So it goes beyond just us, we try and use our business for further change as well. And when you're considering investment, what, what are like the key things that you look into like the next person that comes on board or investing in the brand? I think for us, the most important thing is that they understand our ethos because um, our brand is not just about the design. It's not just about the swimwear being beautiful, like we're so proud of the design, but it's, it's the ethos. That is the most important thing and that is what we think defines our brand. The fact that every single element of what we do is ethical and sustainable. And that means that it's more expensive to produce our pieces. And an investor might come in and say, why don't you make it in China? And then it will cost us this much less to make the pieces, but we will outright refuse to do that. So they have to understand that we will make our pieces in London. We will make them ethically. We will make them sustainably and we won't compromise on that. So I think that's the most important thing for us. And uh, I just would like you to expand on the, um, the images and the models that you use, because when I see like the campaign, I find like really refreshing because usually when you see like swimwear, you see like this perfectly, you know, retouched models and you went like for a real and raw approach. What was the thought behind it? Honestly, for us, there wasn't that much thought. It was just a given. We, we kind of feel like maybe we're just in the bubble, but it's 2020. Like, surely everybody should be doing this now. Like, it's not just going to be size eight women who are buying our swimwear. It's going to be every woman who's going to buy our swimwear. We want every woman to be represented. We want them to be able to go onto our website and see somebody who looks like them wearing our swimwear so they can relate to them. So for us, it was just an absolute no-brainer of a decision. We always make sure that we represent the most wide, diverse range of women as possible. And also personally, like I have scars on my body, so we try and get like women with different scars to try and represent everything, not just like shape and size, but all different women. And what have you seen, like, the change in the conversation since you start your campaign and using real and raw models? 
I would just say for us, <coughs> we don't see it as a defining part of our brand, but when people talk to us about our brand, they tell us it's a defining part. So it just makes us realize that maybe it is a big deal, but for us, it's, as I said, it is just a given. Um, but our customers really, really give such such amazing feedback about it. You must get messages almost every single day from women saying thank you so much for showing somebody who looks like me. It means that I know how that piece is going to look on me and I'm more likely to purchase from you. We've had mums messages and say like, I want to show my daughter your swimwear and your models because it's such a positive role model for her. So I think for us, like that's just the most incredible feeling and it feels like we've made the right choice. Um, do you believe and do you exercise life and work balance? <laughs> if you know me, no. Um, no. I really, it's my New Year's resolution every year and it never happens. And every year I'm like, oh, it's going to slow down this year. It's going to slow down this year. No, it doesn't slow down. Um, so I really would like to, and you know what, I advocate for it. And there's certain things which for me are like a non-negotiable like, I really try and get, really try and get seven hours of sleep a night because I've spoken to a sleep scientist and I'm like, damn, that's important. So, I try and get my seven hours sleep a night and I try and, I eat a whole foods plant-based diet, woohoo, so I do that as well. Um, but in terms of, like, actual stress, I think my main health risk in life is stress. So, I need to, I need to manage that, but I haven't quite nailed it yet. But I do manage it in other areas of my life, like physical health. So you were saying like a way of managing stress for you, it is through exercising. Yeah, and um, I think for me, you have to find things which allow you to switch off. And I think also you have to... So last year I had this emergency bowel surgery, right? Almost died, big palaver. But then I had to go into recovery for a few months. I just, I brushed over a big part of my life there. Um, <laughs> I had to go into recovery for a few months. And that was a huge reality check for me, that the world doesn't fall apart when you don't reply to emails. That was really important for me. And actually, I have been much better since then in realizing that I don't have to reply to everything within an hour. I don't have to open my emails at 9 p.m. on a Friday night. So I think it's having that check-in with yourself of like, why am I doing my emails at 2pm on a Tuesday when nobody else is online? Like, catch yourself. Um, so yeah, I think it's kind of like self-reflecting and finding your own limits. And if it does make you feel better to do a few emails on Sunday night and get yourself ahead for Monday, there's nothing wrong with that. But just make sure it's not like taking over your whole life and allowing you to have absolutely zero balance because I know that and it's not that healthy. And what about like your mental fitness? Do you do anything like to look after like your mental health, your brain health? Well, I have been to a few of your meditation classes. <laughs> um, yes, I've been on a meditation course before and my boyfriend and I, we both meditate pretty much every day. So we do transcendental meditation. Um, but yeah, so I do meditate pretty much every single day. But besides that, not much else. Cooking, cooking. I would say is great to switch off for me. But meditation also, I think for me, you have to get rid of the idea that you have to sit on the floor cross-legged and say, um, I often do it on the tube or in an Uber. So you can do it anywhere. I think that's the most important thing, like release the expectation of it having to be like at home on a cozy blanket with a candle lit. That ain't my life, so it's gonna happen on tube. And people might look at me and I don't care. So we're just like two minutes before we finish. And I would like you to share with us what is your big dream for the next decade? Ooh. Um, I think I'd like to know Wild Swims just take over the world. 
like world domination is our general plan. Um, the steps between here and world domination, unclear, but in general, world domination is the plan. Um, and then with my personal brand, so I also have a personal brand, which I haven't spoken about, Zana Van Dyke, all that sort of stuff. I think just like ticking along. I, I'm quite happy with how that's going, and I don't really want it to grow that much more because when, you're, when you are your brand, um, you get a lot of hate. So I'm kind of like, I'm quite happy with where I'm at and the amount of followers that I have. I don't really want to grow much more than where I'm at. I think it's a nice little community, nice little number. So I'd rather just push Stay Wild Swim forward and keep the Stay Wild Swim business growing and just keep my own business ticking along quite happily and keep my nice, friendly community that I have. So, yeah. So before we open to Q&A, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to share or you would like to say? I would say... You pretty much nailed it, Natalia. Thank you. <laughs> if you're enjoying this special bonus episode, we'd love to invite you to our final event in the Vevolution Veganuary series, the end of Veganuary Party. We'll be bringing all the party vibes to buy Chloe at the O2 to wrap up this awesome month. Expect lots of delicious plant-based food and an incredible DJ set from the Bosch boys, Ian and Henry. Simply visit vevolution.co for more information. Next, makeup artist and entrepreneur MJ Williams interviews Ailish Lucas from The Glowgetter about organic beauty and marketing strategy for natural brands. Hello everyone, happy Veganuary. How are you all? All full? Loads of great food here. Hope you're all stuffed. So I'm here today with the lovely Ailish Lucas. Ailish is an award-winning beauty and wellness blogger. Her blog is called The Glow Getter, so make sure you note that down. <laughs> she also is the founder of the UK's largest wellness and beauty online event, The Glow Summit. She's interviewed hundreds, can we say hundreds? Okay, of absolute legends. I've got a list here. Um, we've got Dr. Christiane Northrup, who is one of Oprah's Super Soul 100s. Erin um, Falconer, who's the founder of Pick the Brain. Dr. Libby Weaver, who's one of Australia's top biochemical nutritionists, and more. She's also the founder of the Glow Collective, Glowgetter Collective, sorry, which is an online membership to help natural beauty brands with their marketing strategies, which we all need this time of year. Um, also, in 2019, Ailish was part of the Alison Rose Review, in which the government commissioned the CEO of NatWest to deep dive into female entrepreneurship. So back to what Zana was talking about earlier, about the women, power to the women. And, um, and she actually went down to Downing Street for the launch of Women Code, a new government initiative to help more women-led businesses get funding. She was voted as number seven on the top 25, thank you, uh, people moving, for, moving natural beauty forward in the, UK, in the UK. And she was a finalist in the Great British Entrepreneur Awards for Health and Beauty, Entrepreneur of the Year. But she also loves a glass of bubbles as well as her smoothies. Can we have a round of applause for Ailish? How are you today, Ailish? Good, thanks. You're feeling good. She's come down from Manchester as well, so thank you for coming all the way. So, Ailish, can you tell us how you first got into clean beauty? Yeah. What kind of inspired you to get into it? So, I've always loved natural and organic beauty and the beauty industry in general, but my background is actually in marketing strategy. 
So I, a rich, when I was working in um, a rather large house builder doing marketing strategy for them, I really, really hated it and decided to go and train as a makeup artist at the London College of Fashion part-time and then also as a beauty therapist. And then thought, oh yeah, I'm gonna be a makeup artist, that's the thing that I'm gonna do. And then went on to, I assisted on Vanity Fair and MTV and a couple of other places and thought, no, this isn't it. So then started to do the blogging side because I was really interested in that. And that came about when, the same time I first discovered clean beauty, because I've always struggled with my skin. And I had tried all the conventional brands that you can name under the sun and nothing would get my skin better. And then I came across Pi Skincare, which is a UK brand and it's um, accredited by the Soul Association. So tried that and within a couple of weeks, my skin had completely cleared up. So I was like, oh, this is like interesting, this like, natural and organic stuff, let's have a look into it. And then that's when the blog started and I just started talking about the products that I had discovered. And then it took, I, I went even deeper into it when I then came off the hormonal pill when I was 33, I think, so a few years ago. And I got the worst hormonal acne of my life. And I remember people saying to me like, aren't you a beauty blogger? Like, you're meant to have figured this shizzle out. And I'm like, I know. And I just had worst, worst hormonal acne and then had tried a load of other brands and then ended up finding a, another natural brand which within 30 days had completely cleared up my skin. So this is where the passion for natural and organic comes from because I've suffered with really bad skin and skin is a really emotional issue. If you've ever had awful skin, then you'll know how much it affects your confidence. So being able to solve that without going on Rakutane or anything else which wasn't natural was really important for me. So it was really nice to then be able to cure my skin, my skin problems through natural and organic, as well as a lot of wellness things as well. And that's where I kind of started to go into natural even more. So I guess to answer your question, that's how it started. And then the blog, obviously kind of is still ticking along. And then I started to do the Glow Summit, which again was linked to health and wellness and how to get glowing skin from the inside out. And I managed to interview lots of amazing people and then put on this, I wanted clear skin to be accessible to everybody. So wanted to put on a completely free event, which was online, which wasn't location-based, so that everybody could access this incredible information. Um, so that's where the Glow Summit came about, and that has been running for the past few years. Um, I took a bit of a break in October with it, um, but I would see like over 2,000 people sign up within the space of 10 days just to learn about what people were saying, and because Dr. Christiane Northrup, she's one of um, the US's most trusted doctors for women's health, and also Oprah, one of Oprah's Super Soul 100, most fascinating woman in her 60s, and just, to be able to get access to that information was really valuable to somebody and also for free. Like I, I want to be able to try and help as many people as possible. So that's kind of where it came about. And then 
the Glow Getter Collective, which is my online membership slash course, came about from then speaking to so many natural beauty brands who were like, I've got this amazing product. It really, really helps people, but I have no blinking clue how to get out, how to get it out there. And because my background was in the marketing, and then when I, I lived over in New Zealand for a couple of years, I was working in marketing over there for an organic brand. Um, that's when I was like, I just need to help people with this. So that's very, very new. It only started a few months ago, but just feels really natural and is going well. And I'm getting really great testimonials from people and stuff. So that's kind of a brief summary, but it wasn't really that kind of brief. <laughs> very informative. So the brands that you work with are all natural. Do they also touch on eco-friendly, sustainable? Okay. Could you kind of give us a bit of a breakdown of what that really means? So natural, there's a lot of greenwashing around that. What would you really class a natural brand to be? So it's quite tricky. Um, it's, not, it's not black and white. Com yeah. as compared to if it's a vegan brand or it's not a vegan brand, you know what that means. Whereas if it's, if it's organic, then it will be certified by a certifying body such as the Soil Association or, um, or Cosmos or EcoCert, for example. So always look for a logo and then you'll know that it's, certif it's certified organic. As regards to natural, clean, green, non-toxic, anything any of these words that you see it's unregulated so any brand can say that it's natural and it could have maybe one very nice ingredient in it and the rest of it is utter rubbish so sometimes you've got to really use the tools out there to help you so there are apps that you can use um the first one that comes to mind for example is um is think dirty it's it's not the best one but, and, and it does have its faults, but if you can start to use apps like that, um, then that can really help to start to educate you. But it is really tricky. Maybe there's some room in the market then for a, a better app. Yeah, there is one, <laughs> and it's escaped my it's escaped my mind, but it's UK based as well. Um, Skin Ninja. Yeah. Ever Everlab. That's it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. For natural beauty and wellness brands, have you got kind of maybe three core tips for how they can stand out in probably what's a little bit of a saturated industry? Yeah, I feel like everything's saturated right now. Um, so I guess this doesn't just apply to natural and organic, but to any brand. Um, first of all, have clarity on your vision and goals because a side hustle is very different to a multi-million dollar brand and you have to figure out what your values are as a person and if they're going to align up with the business that you're creating. So say for example, one of my values that I feel really strongly about is freedom. So that's why I set up an online business and not a product-based business that would maybe was like say something, a shop down the road. Um, so, and I really believe in that. That's why I'm off working in Lisbon for a month next month. So, yeah, so that's probably the first tip is to have clarity on your vision and goals. The second is to know the problem you're solving. I think um, this is, that's been mentioned quite a lot here recently um, or over this evening. But if you need to know who your dream target audience is on a really deep emotional level, especially if it's natural and organic skincare, because like I said before, skin is an emotional issue. It's not just about 
the acne that you're solving for somebody. It's actually about that person not wanting to go out because they feel so self-conscious about what about how they look. It's about them wanting to put, put a paper bag over their head or them not going for that promotion that they want to go for because they're so self-conscious. So if you know that about your audience, then you can speak to them so they feel understood and that's when you create loyal fans. So that would be my second tip. It's a little bit like what Zana was saying about listening to your yeah. audience and asking what they would like. Yeah. Doing exactly that. Yeah. And then, and then you've just touched on it then. I guess the third tip is growing an audience, but not just on social media, on email, because you've got to think of marketing like dating. Um, so your social media is where you you're on your Bumble and you're on your Hinge and you're going out and you're getting to know people. But then when you, when you want to invite them back to your home, that's your website and it needs to be clean, it needs to be nice, it needs to be inviting. And then if they're then gonna take that next step into going into your bedroom and being on your email list, you need to treat them well because you want to build that relationship with them to get them opening your emails, to get them buying from you, to get them telling other people about how amazing you are. So that's the way I would see it. Great analogy. <laughs> How many people can you have in your bedroom? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, have you got some big failures that you've learned from that you can maybe share with us that maybe we can try and avoid? <laughs> I feel like I'm one walking failure all the time. No. Um, <laughs> just a couple of classic daily ones that happened today. Um, I was meant to launch my website today. I went on to change a couple of bits on it. Massively messed it up. It's not launching today. Um, second one was I dropped my business credit card somewhere in Oxford Circus today. So someone's probably going around on the circle line spending, <laughs> having a great time on my expenses. That's good. Um, and then the third one was I was at Reflexology today and got told off for um, not drinking enough water, which um, the, the note, well, the mental learning thing there is stop putting gin and tonic in my water bottle instead of actually water. Um, I told which you she likes the bubbles. <laughs> Um, so, but anyway, big failures. Um, I feel like the whole business started from a big failure when I moved back. It was almost like a personal one where um, I moved out to New Zealand uh, for a relationship and it didn't work out. So then I moved back to the UK and essentially you could see that as a personal failure. But then that kick-started um, everything I did with the blog um, and then with the Glow Summit. Now, there's a whole host of failures that have happened but I think the most important thing is looking at what you learn from those failures and then how you manage your mindset with those failures. And it, it seems cliche, but a lot of, you normally hear this quite a lot where people say, um, fail fast, fail forward. And I really believe that because if you're the only person in your business, which I am, then it's all down to you. Like, you're the reason something messes up. You're the reason something goes well. So if it's not going well, you need to ask yourself better questions. I'm a massive fan of personal development, and Tony Robbins is just... Love him. And he very much believes in asking yourself better questions to get yourself better answers to get to where you want to go quicker. So when things aren't working out, it's sitting down, and if it works for you, journaling, and saying well, this hasn't worked, why hasn't it worked? And then start to go deeper on that and see what comes out. So I, to illustrate that, to go back to your question, 
I felt like the Glow Summit, which is what I was doing up until last year in April, that, that wasn't necessarily a failure because I had a lot of people sign up to it. But I've been doing it for a while and it felt like pushing water uphill. It was amazing and the response was amazing, but it wasn't filling up my cup completely. So I had to ask myself, well, do I want to keep doing this? Or do I want to try something different, which is, I always had this niggling feeling to do something with an online membership and help natural brands. And when I could sit down and have some space and just ask myself that question, that's when it came out and then everything started to flow again. So going back to the question, yes, that could be, it was a personal failure for me in terms of it wasn't doing what I wanted it to, but then I got to learn from that and now things are moving a lot smoother and I'm really excited about where things are going. So you mentioned journaling. Yeah. And you're a big fan of mental health, self-development uh, and not procrastinating. Because I know <laughs> that a lot of us struggle with that, that are self-employed. So have you got any tips or advice or things that are really working for you at the moment that you would advise? Yeah. Um, I almost procrastinate on personal development because, you know, when you get so into something, you're like, yeah, this is amazing. And then you like get yourself really excited and then you're like, oh, now it's just a bit, it's time to go to bed now because I've just done everything. But um, there's a guy called Brendan Bouchard who is really amazing and he's written an incredible book called High Performance Habits and he bases everything that he does on research and he's a high performance coach as well. And in his book, he talks about these six different principles that you can have uh, that you need f uh, to be a high performer. And one of those, which might sound really obvious, but sometimes it's the most obvious things that are the most important. It's sitting down and getting the clarity on what you want to achieve and reverse engineering it. And he, so he talks about not only doing a daily, uh, daily journal in the morning, he's got a planner which I use. Um, there's questions in there where, where it's like, how do you want to surprise and delight somebody today? Um, who, uh, why do you have to be on your A game today? Who is that for? And it just changes your mind in terms of going, okay, well, these are the reasons I'm doing this and this is my why. Um, and then also an evening journaling about having that, having that self-reflection time. So there's the daily, he has a daily review, a weekly and a monthly review. So you can keep focused on what you want to achieve. So he'd definitely be the first person that I check out. I learned so much from him. Um, Tony Robbins in terms of motivation. Um, and then also um, just knowing your why um, I, find, I found that really, really important, and that's come from the journaling, that if you ask yourself those questions and sit there and allow yourself the time to go through everything, then you can really have those breakthroughs. So that, again, I had a massive breakthrough a few days ago when I was on an online training, and one of a couple of the questions that they asked was, um, which I found really interesting, was I achieved all of my goals in 2020 because I, and then dot, 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 but then equally it said, I didn't achieve my goals in 2020 because I, dot, 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 and then you write down all the reasons why you didn't, think of yourself in at the end of the year and why you didn't achieve it. And then you can list all of those excuses so then you can make sure that you're then trying to avoid those going forward. 
Um, Bren has also got a good podcast, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, he's got a podcast and IGTV where he does almost daily kind of inspiration talks. Yeah, he's Definitely great. Definitely check him out. I just want to talk a little bit about um, imposter syndrome because <laughs> I feel like this week especially, probably five people have brought it up to me and you're working with these brands and people starting businesses that could be kind of doing well, doing it out of inspiration with maybe not so much... Um, make any qualifications or anything. Have you got any advice to anyone that's starting a business that's kind of feeling like a little bit uh, out of their depth? I think you've just got to manage that because everybody feels like they're an imposter. And if you let that ego-driven mindset of you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, who are you to do this? Then you won't achieve what you want to and this is the first this is the only chance we know of that you get at life so make an adventure and like try and not take yourself so seriously that it's like well I can't do that because everyone else is doing it it's like oh just give it a go like you don't want to be at the end of your life going I wish I'd have done that and instead of going oh my god I did it and I've got a great story from it because it went like belly up so I think Try and understand what, Try and understand yourself because I feel like business in general, if you've ever set one up or you have one, is the biggest personal development journey you can ever get. I remember here is, hearing someone say, it's like you're getting kicked in the stomach every single day. And it kind of is. Like, there's one minute it's really great and the other minute you're like, oh, balls. And it's just like, it's that roller coaster of not only daily, but minute by minute. And you've got to be able to manage yourself and manage your mindset to then get yourself out the other side and just believe in yourself. And I know it's really cliche, but you really have to believe in something that, that the universe, uh, I'm a bit woo, so like the universe is conspiring with you, not against you. So, and that's what I try and believe. And so for anyone that's starting a business or thinking about it and they haven't really got much money, um, would you recommend kind of just getting started with their own marketing? And if so, what kind of tools would you say they should, they should start with? Or would you say save up, get, like pay for big marketing? Oh, no. Um, there's so much you can do by yourself now and there's so much information out there it's like we are in a YouTube world where everything you need an answer to is on there and the best way to learn is through action so just start trying things see what works see what doesn't but also again go back to what is the problem that you're trying to solve for your dream target audience don't like don't just make more products and make more waste for the sake of it because unless you're solving a problem then you're not really going to be able to help that many people and then that's kind of pointless because you've got to put yourself through so much stress anyway in setting up your own business you may as well want to like you may as well have a focus so it's like keep focused on the problem that you're solving but then just build an audience and like Zana's done and she started building a personal brand and then it's then gone into something else and everything becomes so much easier when you have an audience so just start to build it and go from there how can we find out which uh which platform is best for us do you think it's kind of well thinking about where your audience 
are or what our strengths are? What advice would you give? Um, first of all, look at where your audience is that ideally that you want to target. And then secondly, just choose one. Stop going for all of them because this spray and pray mentality with marketing just doesn't really work. Whereas if you focus on one channel and then just grow it and learn it and build a community and then also get them over to your email list because that is the key. Like get them over to your email list because then you control it. I always think of, I don't know whether I mentioned this before, so correct me if I, if I did, but I always think of social media as a rented house. It's really great, but it's not yours because any, like you could have your Instagram account shut down tomorrow and then that's all of your hundreds of thousands of followers gone. Whereas if you've got them on your email list, then you control how many times you speak to them, what you say to them, when you say to them. And there's a lot more, a lot more chance if you're treating them right, that they will then open your email and then eventually buy from you. Whereas on social media, you, you are succumb to the algorithm. So that's how I would think about it. Tell us a little bit, um, bit more about your um, Glow membership, Glow Getter membership. Yeah. So the Glow Getter Collective is an online community to help natural beauty brands with their marketing strategy, which was born out of so many brands saying to me, I've got, I haven't got Scooby-Doo, what I'm doing with um, marketing. So I created a four-step framework, which was very much teaching them how to do marketing strategy from the absolute basics to learning how to set everything up themselves with um, email, with how to create a lead magnet and it to be really, really affordable and cheap because they're all experts in, their, in creating amazing products and some of them are absolutely phenomenal, but then they didn't know how to do the marketing strategy and they didn't have the money to be able to employ lots of lots of like really big agencies or lots of people to do that so that's where it was born from it's completely online and um yeah there's a self-study option and then an option where they have a, a 60 minute implementation call with me every month as well and if anyone's interested in that how could they find you <laughs> thanks mj <laughs> little plug there so that website that wasn't launched was meant to launch this morning, oh which hasn't launched. <laughs> that is where you'll find it, but it's theglowgettercollective.com, which will be launched hopefully tomorrow. Um, but thank you. Hold off looking until then. <laughs> so before we open to questions, have you got anything else you'd like to talk about or you've got coming up, which is exciting, apart from the website launch? I, I think you've covered everything, but thank you so much. You're an amazing interviewer. Thank <laughs> you.